Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge is available at westbridgedanville.com. Here's this week's message from Pastor Tyson Harold. Did you know that 42% of the world's total income resides in this country? 42% of the world's total wealth is here. And here in middle America, the average income is up to $59,000 a family, which is incredible when you think about it, because if you look back 10 years ago to the recession, there were families that were struggling to do anything. And while that number is not consistent across the board, income that's discretionary or income that can be used for things other than just basic living expenses is up in every age category until you hit the age of 60, where it starts to trail off, unfortunately. And so we have this vast amount of wealth in our country, and we have a, a substantial steady income, not for everybody, right? And the, and the gap between the haves and the haves not seems to be widening. But what we do understand is that there is money in our country like there's never been money before. There is wealth and resources here in America that we just don't see in other parts of the world. It's interesting, as you think of it from a family standpoint, one of the most popular games right now is Fortnite. And if you have a child playing Fortnite or you're playing Fortnite yourself, the average expenditure on Fortnite is $85 for all of the extra add-ons. For those of you who have families right now, youth sports is a $15 billion a year industry. And so you look at all of this money that we've compiled as a nation and as a family is what I'm looking at right now because that's where I'm at in this stage of life. You look at all this money we have. We have more money than we've ever had before. Our country is doing better than it's ever done before, and yet we still struggle to know what to do with our money and how to handle it effectively. And so today I want to help you understand a little bit better what God thinks about it because God cares a lot about your money. Matter of fact, 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus taught were on money. And Jesus taught more on money than he taught on heaven and hell combined. If you take the 31,000 verses that are in the Bible, 4,000 of those verses have to do with money or possessions. And so I believe it's God's great desire that, that he gave us money, but he wants us to do something well with it. He wants us to handle it well. He wants us to manage it well. And we've been gifted as a country, maybe not in your life, maybe not in your family, you're not seeing this right now, but as a whole, collectively, we have an incredible responsibility to steward our money well. Well, today I want to talk to you, we're in this series called Pure, and we've looked at pure love and, and what that means. Today we're going to take a look at pure generosity and what that looks like. But the premise for today's talk is that generosity has more to do with your heart than it does to do with your wallet. Typically when you hear someone talk about generosity, which by the way, preachers don't get excited about talking to money about money just like you don't get excited about hearing about money, right? But it has more to do with our heart than it does with our wallet. And today we're going to find a group of people in the New Testament that set the bar in regards to generosity. Now these people were not in the top 42% of the world's wealth. Matter of fact, they were some of the poorest people of that time. If you have your Bibles, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. It's just right in front of you. Take it. It's our gift to you. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we pick up the story of the church of Corinth. Now, the church of Corinth, Paul started, and it went well for a while. And then it didn't go so well for a while. And he writes 1 Corinthians to kind of address some of those things. Then he comes along in 2 Corinthians, and there was a couple other events that happened. He sent Titus in between 1 and 2 Corinthians, and he did a couple other things to kind of challenge this church. 
Well, we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that they had started to give some money to the Jerusalem church, right? So you've got Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, and you've got the Jerusalem church, which started the whole party down in Jerusalem, and those people started really well. If you remember Acts chapter 2, they, were, they didn't have anybody was in, that was in need. Everybody pooled their possessions and their wealth together, and they took care of everybody. But through persecution and through a host of bad circumstances that came upon the Jerusalem church, a famine breaks out, and in, um, you can read about that in uh, Romans chapter 15 or 1 Corinthians chapter 16 for further details, but this famine breaks out against the Jerusalem church, and poverty starts to set in. And Paul goes and tells the church in Corinth, look, let's take up a collection for these people and let's help them out. And they start out really well with that, right? He ends the first book of 1 Corinthians with that statement, like, hey, we're going to start an offering, and it starts, they start raising money, but then they kind of get like all of us, we start something, and it's like, yeah, we forget about them. And we pick up this story in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where he's challenging them to continue giving to the Jerusalem church. Now, he uses a group of people to explain this idea who were poorer than the Corinthians called the Macedonians. The Macedonians were north, so like modern-day Bulgaria, Albania, the Stan countries, all of those. That's where they were at. And they were, had extreme poverty, but yet they were extremely generous. And I think it's interesting today, as the wealthiest nation in the world, that we can learn how to be generous from some of the poorest people in the first century. If you have your Bibles, flip over and go ahead and read along with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able to and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you have also excelled in this grace of giving. Paul goes on to verse 8 and says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but to have the desire to do so. Now finish this work so that your eager willingness to do so may be matched by the completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So Paul tells the people of Corinth, look, this group north of you, the Macedonian area, which would be the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, if you've heard of those churches mentioned in the New Testament before, and they had this extreme poverty break out among them. In verses 1 and 2, it says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It's amazing that God did something in these people's hearts, which is why the premise of our talk today is that generosity has more to do with your heart than it does with your wallet. These people didn't have anything in their wallet. They were poor. 
But God did something in their hearts. If you look at verse 1, it says that we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. We don't wake up generous people, right? We wake up wanting to take care of ourselves, maybe our family if we're lucky, but we're all pretty selfish when it comes down to the end of the day. But God did something in the people of Macedonia and just stirred something inside of them that, that enabled them and empowered them to want to give not only just a little bit, but give sacrificially, it goes on to say. And so we see in verses 1 and 2 that not only did they want to be generous, but they had great joy in doing it. Here's the deal. Your ability to be generous is not limited by the number in your bank account. I know you look at your bank account and you're like, well, we only have $5 left. But you can be a generous person without ever setting a finger on a piece of money, which is why it all starts in our hearts, which is why it all starts here. And so your ability to be generous is not limited by the number in your bank account. And I'm afraid for some of us, we've done that. We've said, look, I paid for college. I don't have any money left. I paid for my parents in the nursing home. I don't have any money left. I paid for my kids to be on the travel sports. I don't have any money left. And we've just been like, I guess we're just going to stay right here and hang out and hope that we can make it through this. Right? And, I, and I'm there with you. But God wants us to be generous people. And we have a generous God. And he lays out here in First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, Paul lays out his appeal to be generous not based on our bank account think about what jesus praised the widow for in luke in luke he tells the widow um, she gave out of her poverty but the other people gave out of their riches and he honored the widow who gave two widows mites if you remember and he honored her for what she, the sacrifice she had made it was a very minimal amount matter of fact the people around him were probably ridiculing this lady but jesus said she's the one to be praised because she gave out of her poverty and not out of her riches he goes on in verse 3 to say, For I testify, this is Paul speaking, that they gave as much as they were able to, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in God's work. You see, God wants willing generosity. It's entirely on their own that the Macedonian churches decided they were going to do this. It wasn't that Paul was there, like, holding their hands to the fire, saying, you guys got to be generous. No, this is just what God had done in their hearts which is why generosity always starts in the heart. And so Paul lays out his appeal here, and he says, look at these people. I want you to know about the grace that God's done in them, and they've had entirely on their own, they wanted the privilege of being a part of what God was doing. We find that our level of generosity is directly related to our willingness to let God change our heart, right? Our, our level of generosity, right? You want to be a more generous person? Because I think we all do. We see stories in the news of generous people, and you always go like, or at least me, like, man, I wish I was more like that. I wish I had something to give. Let me tell you, we're going to talk at the end. You do have something to give, and it may not be money. But your level of generosity is directly related to the amount that you're going to let God change your heart to not be a selfish, stingy person, to be a person that just gives freely. And that is a hard, hard thing to do. It's really hard because we've been blessed with so much, and I think we're so comfortable. The first century, first century Christians in Macedonia, they didn't have anything, so when they lost it all, it didn't matter. For you and me, we have a lot to lose, and so that's why it's often so difficult for us. So God gave grace to the Macedonians, and that's what enabled them to give. And then in verse 5, he goes on to say, They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. We love when people exceed our expectations, don't we? When people do better than we expect, it, it causes us to want to rise up and do better. If we see people slacking off and being lazy, it tends to pull us down. 
But the Macedonians exceeded the expectations that Paul had thought even in his own head. He's like, I didn't think they would come up with such a great offering, but they did. And then he lays out one of the most important statements, I believe, in this passage. He says, look, they gave themselves first and foremost to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. You see, I don't think God so much cares about your offering, your church attendance, your worship, or any of that. He wants your heart. But if he has your heart, the rest of it will follow. And so what happens is with the Macedonian churches, they gave themselves first and foremost to the Lord. They gave their hearts to the Lord. They gave their concerns to the Lord. They gave their hopes and dreams to the Lord. And then they gave themselves also to, to us. In verse 6, it goes on to say, so we urge Titus, just as he had made a beginning, to also bring to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled into you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. It seems like, at least in my life and in many Christians' lives, that money is the last stronghold we hold on to. It's the last thing we cling to. We're, we're fine trusting God for eternity because we know we can't do anything about that. We love forgiveness and the idea of forgiveness, and so God, that seems really cool. We'll cling to that. We like community, and we tend to value that, and even non-Christians value community. But when it comes to money, it seems like that's the last stronghold because we seem to think we have some sort of control over that. We seem to think that we can manipulate it enough to benefit us, and if we have enough extra, then we can benefit somebody else. And it seems like that's the last stronghold we hold on to. And Paul tells Titus in verse 6, look, go back and finish this. Titus went earlier and said, look, we're going to raise up this money for the Jerusalem churches. And Paul tells him, go back and finish this, verse 6. But in verse 7, I find an interesting verse, especially if you know the history of the Corinthians. If you don't know the history of the Corinthians, it's a lot like our world today. They, they had a lot of wealth. Their culture was um, over-sexualized. And what I mean by that is there was the Temple of Artemis in Corinth. It was just, it, sex was all about. It sounds a lot like our country today. Lots of money. Too much free time on our hands, and so it ends up into a whole host of other things. But he praises them, which this is really cool and a lesson on how to reconcile with people that do you wrong. In the first part of 1 Corinthians, it's just land blasted. Don't do this. You guys are idiots. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. He comes and he tells them here, he says, look, in verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Apparently, what happened between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and there was a visit by Paul in between there and a visit by Titus, their hearts had changed. And God had done something in their hearts, and Paul is just making an appeal, like I think he would make an appeal to you and I today, is look, you've got all these great things going on in your life. You do a lot of good. You people are great. Awesome. Give yourselves a round of applause. But make sure whatever you do that you also excel in this grace of giving. And then Paul lays out what I think is the most clear um, command in regards to giving in verse 8. And he says, look, I'm not commanding you. God loves willing, cheerful givers. He doesn't want you to feel like you're under obligation to give. He wants you to, like the Macedonians, to, to see it as a privilege to be a part of what he's doing. But, but that's why we took the offering ahead of time here today. I didn't want you to feel, because I talked about money today, that you should go fair for and put money in the plate. If that's not what God's laid on your heart, don't do it. Because he wants willing people. He wants willing people to follow him, and he wants willing people to give. And verse 8 says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it 
with the earnestness of others. It's not a command. It's interesting because if you love someone or something, you'll do whatever it takes for them. And I heard a tragic story this week of a lady whose husband had a heart attack. And the ambulances got there and they said, look, we don't think we can drive fast enough to get into town. You probably need to call the, the helicopter in to get you. Well, the weather was bad, and the helicopter ended up taking like 20 to 30 minutes, and they finally got their husband loaded on there, and he was having heart issues, and he got to the hospital, and unfortunately, he died. And he died, and, and her insurance kicked back. It wouldn't pay for the helicopter, and so now she has to sell her whole house to pay for the expenses. And you look at that, and, and, and that lady didn't sit there when they were like, do you want the helicopter or not? She didn't say like how much, right? She didn't ask. She just said, do whatever possible to save my husband. You see, when you love someone, like God loves us, you'll do whatever it takes, even if it costs you all you have, because you understand that it's worth it. And unfortunately, that lady's husband didn't make it. And unfortunately, now she's had to sell her house, which breaks your heart. But it gives you a little bit of a picture of what Paul says in verse 9 when he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. This verse is a key verse into understanding the good news of Jesus Christ. That you see here, there's a picture behind you that God, or behind me, excuse me, that God in his grace he left the perfection of heaven and all the riches that were there, right? There was incredible riches, and we usually think of heaven like mansions, right? We think of mansions and streets of gold, and, and that's riches. But no, so much more than that. God left the perfection of heaven, the communion with the Father, and the perfection of never having any sin anywhere near him. And he left all of that, it says, for you and for me. And so though he was rich, it says that he left the riches of heaven for your sake. He became poor. And when we talk about the fact that he became poor, he entered into our mess, into our poverty, into our sin, and into our mess. And so Paul tells them, he says, look, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. So you have, he leaves heaven, he comes to die on a cross, and as he dies on the cross, he enters into our mess, and he takes all of the poverty, and, and it's not physical poverty that Jesus experienced, although he was not the richest person in Galilee. But it was, he entered into our spiritual poverty, and by dying for us on the cross here, we're enabled to be a part of what God's riches are one day in heaven. But we also get the riches of God today and the blessings of God today. And so Paul lays out his appeal to us and shares what Jesus did for us. And it's almost as if Paul says, look, I'm not commanding you to do these things, but just in case you forgot, God was rich towards you. And I'm calling you to be rich towards others. I had one time I wrote down in my notes that uh, it's not so much, Rick Baker told me this years ago, it's not what you're giving for, it's who you're giving to. It's not what you're giving for, it's who you're giving to. And when you understand that about your money, that it's all God's anyways, it, it, it takes the pressure off of it. 
And it allows you to see that it's not so much a Thanksgiving offering or it's not so much Compassion International or it's not so much the church plant in Quebec. This is what God's doing. And we get the privilege to be a part of what God is doing all over the world. It's not what you're giving for. It's, it's who you're giving to. So he goes on into verse 10 and he says it this way. He says, so here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. I love this. If you ever want to know what to do in the gray areas of life, Paul says, and I want you to know about what's best. There's a whole host of situations in life that are not black and white. But I can tell you by asking the question that Paul says, look, I want you to know what's best. And you can ask that question in your own life. What's best? What brings God the most glory? And what helps me excel in where he's put me at right now? What's best? And Paul says, look, I want you to know what's best for you in regards to this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give but to do it. Now finish the work. Apparently they started off great. They were all fired up to help the church down in Jerusalem. But then just like anything else, right, like household projects, it's all fun and games when everybody's in the car going to Lowe's, picking out fun stuff. And then if you're the dad, you find yourself hitting your thumb with a hammer and you're laying in the middle of the floor crying and nobody's around and you got to clean up the whole mess and it's no longer fun. But what do you got to do? You got to finish, right? You got to finish what you started. And Paul's telling these people, look, you got you to finish it. You got to finish what I've already, you've already wanted to do it. You had an eager desire to do it. You just forgot about it. And so Paul says, look, you've got to finish what you started. And then lastly, verse 12, it says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. If you remember, we started the morning when I said that generosity has more to do with your heart than it does with the amount of money in your wallet. And Paul clarifies what Jesus had stated earlier in the Gospels that it's not about what you, the money in your wallet. It really is not. Verse 12 says, for if the willingness is there, it goes back to the heart. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. You see, the amount of money you have is not the issue. It's what you do with what you have. It's not. The amount of money you have is not the issue. The amount of money you don't have is not the issue. It's what you do with what you have. And so I think that leaves us with two uh, interesting questions this morning. Number one, what do I have? And number two, what can I give? Jesus said in Luke chapter 16 that if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot or much. A lot of times I used to hear high school students say, well, when I make a lot of money, then I'll give. Well, they're still not there yet. They aren't making a lot of money, right? So you got to start small. Because you be faithful with a little bit, you'll be faithful with a lot. If you, if you don't currently give and be a part of what God's doing, then, then just start with something. But Luke records Jesus' words that if you were faithful with a little, you're faithful, you'd be faithful with a lot. When it comes to generosity, we have really three main areas that we can be generous with. Our time, our money, and our talents or resources. And today I want to give you a few things as we wrap up our time to kind of help you think and understand that you have more time, money, and resources than you even think. And so what I 
do is I'll give you a couple of ideas. These might help you. They may not. Um, one of the first ones is there's an app called Illuminate. Um, Dave Ramsey has one called Every Dollar. And the cool part about this is, is you put your bank accounts in and you put everything in, and then it tells you exactly where you're spending your money. So if you're not sure, you don't have a great budget system, or you're not really in tune with where your money's going, right, that's a, that's a bad plan. And so you've got to get on a better plan. And this app is one of the ways you put it in, and it'll categorize everything for you. And then it'll tell you, like, here's 23 items that we weren't sure how to categorize. Where do you put them? Well, the cool part about this is, is those little circles end up, and you can gauge where you're at and where you could save some money, right? It'll tell you you're on pace this month to spend less in food and dining out than you were last month. So the cool part about this is, for all of us, we have money, right? We do. Or we have money that maybe we don't think we have, but we really do have money. And this app is one way to kind of see where your money's at and where it's going. Every dollar is another one that's, called, uh, that's out there by Dave's Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, excuse me. And that might be a way that you can find money that you have you didn't even know you had. Uh, or maybe cut back in areas that you're spending a lot in. Like if you're spending $85 on Fortnite, like maybe that's time to cut back, right? And uh, maybe get one next month, right? I tell my kids that all the time. Maybe next month. Um, so the second one is that uh, we have Financial Peace University coming up in January. And if you struggle with money or even if you don't struggle with money, this is a great opportunity. John and Rebecca Finley will be starting this in, in January. And what I love about John and Rebecca is they see this as not just a one-time deal. They started groups last year that meet together and just for an encouragement to keep doing their best with their money, right? And they could tell you story after story after story of how God's blessed people that have gone through this course and it's helped them have a better way to manage their money, right? We all know that some of the greatest arguments come around money. And so maybe you could pick one of those. And then lastly, this one just killed me this past week. Um, most of the time, I'm really trying hard to say that I don't have time for things anymore because we all have time. And the people at Apple figured this out, right? And so if you have the latest iOS update, uh, I invite you to bring your phone out, right, in church. Bring it out right now. If you have the latest um, app update for Apple, go ahead and go to your, your settings. And if you go down to the second block, it'll tell you exactly how much time you've spent on your phone this week, right? So the staff, I started asking them around this week, and everybody's trying to not use their phone, like not call anybody, not text anybody, because we were trying to get our numbers down. But you can see that somebody had five hours a day that they were spending on their phone. Now, if you have that app on, or if you have an Apple phone, I don't know what it is for Android, if you have that on your phone, you can see that you have more time. You do. I have more time. I won't tell you whose this is because it doesn't matter. But we all have more time. So if generosity is really a thing of the heart and not so much with our wallet, we all have more time than we thought. We got more money than we think. And we have things to offer because every single one of you have a spiritual gift, if you're a Christian, that's available to help encourage and spur on the body. You see, I think we have far more than what we give ourselves credit for. And God is far more concerned with our heart than he is with our money or is with our church attendance or is with anything else he wants you. And so you've got some time. And I encourage you, this week, set that goal. You can set a goal right on your phone. It'll alert you and say, you're doing great. You're down 25% this week. Go do something else with that time. Go help somebody. Go serve. Go do something other than this. Right? Use one, like either Illuminate or every dollar and find yourself where you can spend some extra money. So we did this in my family this week, and I said, look, we're going to cut this out and this out, and we're, uh, we're going to try and send a gift to our compassion kid this year. Right? 
you might maybe never gave to the Thanksgiving offering, and maybe, maybe that's something you could do. Maybe it's $5, maybe it's $500, maybe it's $5,000. If it's $5,000, come see me because I have other expenses too. But whatever it is, generosity has more to do with your heart than it does with your wallet or your clock or whatever else you think you're limited by. And so my hope and my prayer is that over these coming weeks, you might see that God would bring opportunities your way to be more generous and that you would recognize that and step into what God has for your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. And we thank you, Father, for the chance that you have been so generous to us. You sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. You left the perfection of heaven and the riches of heaven. You entered our poverty. And by entering our poverty and dying our deaths, we're able to be rich in heaven with you one day. But Father, we're able to be rich today as well, not just materially, but spiritually. We have all the riches of Christ that are available to us. We have forgiveness and joy, love, eternal life, light, and freedom. And Father, we thank you for each one of those today. God, we also thank you that you've entrusted us collectively as a country, maybe not individually, with a lot of wealth. Father, for those in the room that don't have as much or do, I pray, God, that we would keep the words of 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, not according to what we have or do not have, but according to what we have. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be generous people this week, and not just this week, that we would stay on top of it, that we would finish what you call us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.